down to it. And Smith, he fires deep, and that's going to be caught on the run by Kareem Hunt. Inside the 20, inside the 10, all the way for a Kansas City touchdown to tie the game. It's just Marsh. Gonna swing. There's Marsh right there. He's gonna have to try and trail him. This So I'm still a little stunned at 9.30A on Friday, the night after the opening game of the NFL season. It just looks so easy for the Patriots on that first drive. And then Kareem Hunt fumbles on his first NFL carry, and you think, oh boy, the Patriots are about to motorboat this team but you got to give the Chiefs a lot of credit they hung in there they made big plays they got some big stops especially on fourth and one they stopped the Patriots I think twice on fourth and one uh, once on that drive after the hunt fumble and then again later in the game two huge stops there they hung with it and they won the opening game on the road against the Super Bowl champion. So, since 2002, the when the NFL started playing the kickoff game on Thursday, the defending Super Bowl champion has only lost the game at home twice. 2012, the Giants lost to Dallas. And last night, uh, New England lost. Also... Uh, the home team lost one other time. That was in 2002, the very first game, the Giants again. Uh, but that was before the tradition of the Super Bowl champion uh, hosting the game. Carolina also lost the opening game, but they were on the road. Uh, for whatever reason, the NFL uh, didn't didn't let them play that game at home. And uh, they lost it on the road to Denver in a Super Bowl rematch. Uh, so a pretty shocking Shocking, uh, shocking thing there. What, Paula? You want to tell everybody about hockey? Now she got shy. Uh, like I said, it is Friday. And I got a great show to put up. Two really cool interviews. Uh, Kenny Albert is going to be first. In a second, we'll take a break and get to Kenny Albert from Fox. He's got a new team this year. Ten years or so with Daryl Johnston. Fox split them up, and Johnson moved down a team. I think he's with Chris Myers now. And Rondé Barber actually moved up and is going to uh, to be with Kenny. We'll talk to Kenny about his new team. And by team, I mean broadcast team. We've had Kenny on a bunch. He's a great guy, very accommodating. And this might be his best appearance. Uh, we talked for about a half an hour. Uh, and it was a really cool, interesting, kind of behind-the-scenes look at calling NFL games. We talked about production meetings. We talked about chemistry. We talked about all kinds of really interesting things. So we'll get to Kenny Albert in a second. Uh, after that, 
I'm going to make my NFL picks. Uh, Don has will email me his, uh, or he will make his next week on the podcast. Uh, but I'll get mine out there anyway. Uh, after, after Kenny Albert, then Matt Yoder is here. Uh, Matt Yoder comes on every year at this time to talk about awful announcing and the Saints. As I selfishly take thirty minutes to give my opinion about the Saints and find out what Matt Yoder's is. Uh, Matt is a one-time executive editor of Awful Announcing. He took a step back from that role uh, when they added the comeback, and now he just writes for the comeback and Awful Announcing. Uh, So we'll talk to Matt about that, and then I will close the show off with one last thing. So, uh, since Don isn't here, and Paula doesn't want to talk, and you guys are probably sick of me already. We're going to take a break and come back with the awesome Kenny Albert. All right, our next guest today is from New York City, and uh, he went to NYU. He calls pretty much everything, Rangers games, baseball games on Fox, and of course football on Fox. He's a great friend of the show. We're honored to have him here today. A warm sportscaster's welcome. It's Kenny Albert. How you doing, Kenny? I'm very good, Steve. How are you? I'm excited for football season, to be honest. It's here. It's here. It's hard to believe that it's uh, already September and it's year 24 of the NFL on Fox, which is even harder to believe, but uh, such a great time of the year with the opener on Thursday and then uh, the games on Sunday and Monday and you have the baseball pennant races, hockey and basketball just around the corner. So, uh, like I said, one of the one of the best times of the year. So, speaking of hockey, so I have a young daughter, and one of her first words was hockey. And uh, what we do a lot at night is she'll lay down with me or sit down with me on the couch, and we watch hockey videos, and we watch a lot of old Pavel Burry videos. And I was thinking, I got to ask Kenny if he has a good Pavel Burry story. I don't think I ever did before. Well, first of all, I know you have a, a daughter who's right around one, and my question to you is, before we get to Pavel Bure, yeah. has she been on skates yet? <laughs> she has not been on skates yet, but she does have a stick, a mini stick. And, there you uh, go. I know, you know, I know you don't live too far from the Canadian border, and <laughs> uh, you know the legend has it that in Canada, oftentimes babies are on skates before they learn how to walk. Yeah, we're, uh, we're we're getting the ground game going first, and then. Uh, but <laughs> if she makes it to two without skating, I'd be surprised. There you go. You know, she's well, she's got Pavel a... Bure. Um, yeah. Sorry, Steve. Yeah, no, Bure, um, let's go. Biggest memories Love of it. Pavel Bure. A couple of things. First of all, uh, ninety-four finals against mm-hmm. the Rangers with the Canucks, and uh, the penalty shot. He was stopped by Mike Richter and. Had some, you know, other uh, unbelievable moments in that series, and that was a lot of fun to watch. I was calling that series for NHL radio. And then he actually was acquired by the Rangers by Glenn Sather in the early 2000s, and it was just unfortunate that uh, his career was cut short due to the injuries. He had a a 10- or 20-game stretch when he came to the Rangers where he was just unbelievable and, uh, you know, so explosive. Uh, I just remember so many breakaways. I never saw a player have so many breakaways over that short stretch of time. And, um, you know, again, had the knee injuries, and, and, and that was just unfortunate. 
And it's funny, one, some of the things you remember, um, when the Rangers acquired one of the, one of the Miranoff brothers, Boris Miranoff, and if you recall, he had a brother, Dmitry, who went by Miranoff. The brothers actually pronounced their names differently, Miranoff and Miranoff. <laughs> and I remember when the trade was, was announced, they happened to be up at the Rangers practice facility, and I asked Pavel Bure, I said, how does this one pronounce his name again? And he kind of started laughing, and, and he made light of the fact that the two brothers uh, pronounced their names differently. So that's sort of a, a, an inside anecdote that I recall from his career with the Rangers. His time with the Rangers, I just remember it seemed like it was always a hat trick. You know what I mean? Like It's like if he was scoring, it was a hat trick. I remember he had one against Ottawa with the Rangers that I think he finished on like a, a cross-ice pass where he kind of dove head first for the one-timer sort of um if i'm playing at my head right and uh you mentioned the breakaways we watch well, we watch all these highlights i can't even believe how many times he's behind everyone it's amazing and, and i think i think it was a breakaway in 94 the canucks played calgary and they went to a seventh game in the yep. first round and i'm pretty sure yeah game seven or the overtime winner on, on a breakaway and yep. they wind up going to the finals that year and, you know, as far as his Rangers career, I don't remember the specifics, but I think over a 10 or 12 game stretch at one point, he scored like 15 goals. And if memory serves correct, he was playing on the line with, with Mike York, who was a young player um, out of Michigan State, and Phil Fleury, um, who he had certainly had his, you know, battles with, the rivalry between Calgary and Vancouver, and they were together with the Rangers. But I'm pretty sure during that one stretch, he, he scored a ridiculous amount of goals in like 10 or 12 games. That 93-94 season, he had 60 goals in the regular season and 47 assists, so 107 points in the regular season. And then in 24 playoff games, he had 16 goals and 15 assists. Incredible. And again, that Game 7 against Calgary, obviously if they lose that game, they're done, and they wind up winning two more rounds and, and going all the way to the Stanley Cup Final. And I remember uh, following his career, actually seeing him, I, I think it was 2006 in, in Torino, Turin, Italy, um, where I was broadcasting some of the hockey games, and he was part of the management team. Yeah, with, he put it together. With he the put Russian that Olympic team, together. team at that time. Yeah, he put that team together. He was like the uh, who was it? Was did Eiserman do it for Canada last year? I, I forget. Uh, you know these these big guys. Hockey, uh, obviously, politics and Russian hockey, and like Burry's like. You know, all the Russian, like I know Ovechkin said when he got to the NHL, what was first shift across from him is like a dream come true for him. So, I know they all. I love him, but um, yes. Oh, what a what a player! Uh, I was actually talking to Sean McDonough, who called the '98 uh, Olympics, and Burry had the five goals in the semis against Finland. And uh, that's right, that's right. I remember watching that one. Yeah, and he scored the his fourth goal. He blew by poor Tapo Newman, who's one of the best skaters in the world <laughs> at the time. You know what I mean? He blew by him like he was skating on his knees. It's unbelievable, but. Yeah, no, just just so explosive. Anyway, uh, let's talk football a little bit. It's finally here. I know you called uh, some preseason games for the Redskins like you always do. How important is that for you uh, to get those games in preseason? I know it's with a different team. It's not with your Fox team. But just for you in terms of the reps, is that is that really important or is that just just a gig? No, I think it is. I, I think it really gets you into the rhythm and, and – most years um, that I've been involved in the NFL, I've done some preseason games. Um, I remember early in the early Fox years, um, they they actually uh, 
would send us out. I worked with Ron Pitts in 94 and Anthony Munoz in 95, and those were the first two years of the NFL and Fox. And they would actually have us go to one of the Fox preseason games and sit in the booth and, and call the game uh, you know, into a truck. It, it didn't go anywhere on the air. So that was obviously a, a, a big benefit those years. And then uh, one year I worked St. Louis Rams uh, preseason games with Kellen Winslow Sr. and uh, the Jets for one or two years with Joe Namath and, and the Eagles for many years with a, with a variety of partners, uh, Todd Blackledge and Mike Mayock and Ron Jaworski, and then started with the Redskins about 10 years ago. And in the early years, it was John Riggins and a couple of other uh, partners, but it's been Joe Theismann for about eight or nine years. But from a play-by-play standpoint, I think it's huge because otherwise, and you know, most of the guys I think that do NFL games are involved in, in some kind of a preseason package or, or do preseason games on the network. Um, there have been a couple of years where I, where I did not, and then you're stepping into that first game and you haven't done a football game in eight months. Now, uh, not to say that you can't do it because you know, all of us have done it that way, uh, on a number of occasions, but it just gets you into the rhythm. The preseason games, you know, are a little tougher as far as the rosters are concerned, as you know, Steve, with uh, 90-man rosters. Yeah. And this year, they didn't no cut cuts. anybody until after the final preseason right. game. At least in past years, they would go down to 75. Right. This year, they stayed at 90. So those are um, a bit trickier. Now, being involved with one team, the Redskins, that actually makes it easier because you, you see three or four of their games and, you have to study the, the opponent a little bit more. And then the added bonus for me this year is I actually have the Redskins this Sunday, week one against the Eagles, which which is a huge help, um, having worked three of their preseason games and, and the familiarity with the players and coaches. But, um, yes, to answer your question, it's a, it's a big benefit, I feel, and uh, getting to work like a, you know with a guy like Joe Theismann, who does a terrific job, and uh, he did network games, Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football for so many years, and just has such a pulse on the team. He, he's at training camp, practices, um, you know, lives down in Virginia, very familiar with the Redskins, so he's a, a tremendous partner to work with during the preseason. But you do feel like you're sort of, you know, just like the players. They, they have OTAs and training camp and preseason games, so you feel like you're in the rhythm before you get to that first regular season game. Now, obviously, for several years, you've been working at Fox with Daryl Johnston. This year, you're switching up. You're going to be with Rondé Barber. How do you prepare for that situation like is this going to be your first game with Rodney on Sunday or have you guys been working behind the scenes to try to gain a, a rhythm and a partnership no it actually will be our first game together and wow. uh, work with Moose for, for 10 years 10 full seasons with Moose uh, eight of those we had Tony Saragusa with us and even prior to that for three or four years I, I did three or four games with Moose so it's been about 14 years total and uh one of the best partners I could have ever asked for. Uh, love the guy personally. Does a tremendous job on the air. Um, he's done double-digit playoff games. Uh, we did five together, five divisional games, and he also did five or six with Dick Stockton, one of the best analysts out there. Uh, you won't find a better guy, great family guy. So uh, it just had a tremendous, like I said, decade uh, with Moose. And, Quite a run. Um, in, this business, in this business, sometimes there are changes, and uh, looking forward to working with Rondé this year. Um, we have not done a game together, but I'm very familiar with his work. I've watched so many of his games through the years. remember meeting with him as a player. He was one of the guys that we would always uh, select when we did Buccaneer games. There are certain players and coaches that you know you get to know a little bit, and, and 
that do a terrific job in the production meetings, and he was one of those guys that we would always ask for, uh, along with John Lynch and Derek Brooks and Warren Sapp and Brad Johnson from those Tampa Bay Buccaneers teams back when they were uh, a perennial playoff team and, and won the Super Bowl in January 2003. So um, excited about working with Rondé. Spent a little bit of time with him this summer, both at our Fox seminar and then the Redskins' final preseason game was in Tampa, and he actually works with Chris Myers during the, the Buccaneers' preseason telecasts. Chris and Moose will be partners this year, so it was a bit of a flip-flop. So I uh, spent a lot of time with Rondé last week down in Tampa as well, and uh, we'll both get into D.C. this Thursday night. We'll have our meetings with the Redskins Friday, uh, production dinner Friday night. We'll spend all day Saturday together, meet with the Eagles, have a production meeting Saturday night, and uh, we'll be ready to go on Sunday. You know, Hard Knocks actually gave us a look at those meetings this year. They've done it a couple times in the past, I think. You know, you get to see what that's like, that room. You know, I think this year they showed uh, Winston in there talking to Rex and to uh, to Gruden. Uh, tell us, like, how important those meetings are. Like, you know, when I, when I see it as an outsider, I see, you know, the guys calling the game. Uh, talking to the the biggest stars on the team, and I sort of wonder, like, what are they really getting from those guys? You know, like, how important is a meeting like that to uh, to get ready for a game? Well, first of all, to me personally, it's it's one of the most fun parts of the job because we have the opportunity to go to practice and sit down with players and coaches in these private meetings, as you just described, uh, with the home team. It's usually on Friday and. You probably have a little more time uh, because they're at their home facility. It's a you know, a bit of a relaxed setting. As the visiting team on Saturday, they're rushing a little bit. They're just off a plane. Right. They might have some team meetings in the hotel. So um, not to say that they don't go well 95% of the time, but uh, the time element you know, sometimes comes to play with, with the visiting team, depending on what time they get into the opposing city. Um, but some of the greatest memories you know, that I have – when I think back, you know, meeting with my favorite all time was Brett Favre. He, he was just tremendous in these meetings. Um, you know, I worked numerous Packers games through the years, and he would come in and he he would he would treat this like it, it's the only thing on his plate all day. He would never be looking at his watch or the clock, and you know, never indicated that he only had ten minutes or how to get out of there. He would sit with you for as long as you needed. He'd sit in there for an hour. And a lot of it was, was Brett telling stories that had nothing to do with football, about hunting and fishing and uh, his kids and, and, you know, old stories from his high school and college days. It was just great. You know, uh, I, was, I was sorry when he retired because, because these meetings came to an end, but he was the all-time best, in my opinion. Um, you know, what do you get out of them? Sometimes not much. Sometimes you get great stories that you use on the air. Uh, sometimes they'll share uh, strategy for that particular week's game. Um, a lot of times you'll get more out of the assistant coaches, the coordinators, because um, you know they they know that if, if you talk about them on the air and show them on TV, it could help in their quest to become a head coach someday. Interesting. And we've seen that happen with with so many assistants through the years, where um, you know certain announcers, play by play, color analysts, uh, become close with them, and and you wind up sort of promoting them and, and talking about them, and, and those are the guys that get the job interviews the next year. Um, could you do the game without these meetings? Sure. I mean, you you would call it, you would call the game, and and you would insert you know things that you've read and um, heard about you know through the week and through the season. But 
it, it it definitely adds that extra flavor, some personalized stories, you know, maybe more so in some games than others. Um, but for a play-by-play announcer, you know, we and I've talked to you about this, and I've shared this with with high school and college students that I speak to every summer. For for a football game, the preparation for me and for most of us, for most of the play-by-play and color analysts and the production crew starts on a Monday morning uh, for that Sunday's game. So you're six days out, you're preparing charts, you're looking at statistics and reading every article possible from, from those two cities. I have the Redskins and Eagles this week, so pretty much every article that's written about the Redskins and Eagles I've already read up until this point. Um, normally it's a little different going into week one, coming off the preseason, but normally you'd watch each team's previous game, sometimes the last two. Now I'm watching the TV broadcast. The analyst is watching that and also coaches film as well, and we'll watch some of that together. And you just immerse yourself in it. You know, for me, aside from eating, sleeping, and, and spending time with my family, during football, that's pretty much all you're doing. You're immersed in those teams. And, and come October, I'll have other events to call as well. But in September, when it's only football, this is Redskins-Eagles week for right. me. And and it's just you, you wrap yourself up in it. And Monday through Thursday, you're on your own doing the work at home. Friday, we'll go in and, and go to Redskins Park and uh, take part in, in the meetings that uh, that I just described. Now, you talked about... Uh, doing playoff games now. Correct me if I'm wrong. You guys did the division round Saints and Cardinals in 2009-10, correct? Uh, we did. We, yeah. we did. Uh, Moose, Moose and I and Tony Saragusa did five divisionals. Uh, that was one of the more memorable ones. I mean, they're all memorable. We right. did. If I if I remember correctly, in order, we had Green Bay, Seattle, in January 2008, which was in the snow. Brett Favre, tremendous setting. Um, we had Carolina, Arizona. That was the game uh, in which DeLome threw five or six interceptions on his birthday. Not a memorable one for him. Uh, we had the New Orleans, Arizona game you mentioned. We had Chicago, Seattle, uh, which the Bears won at Soldier Field. And then one of the one of the you know most memorable games I've ever worked. And our crew was nominated for for a national Emmy for this one. It was the Saints 49ers. Yeah, we talked the next January day, 2012. Yeah, we talked the day after that. The last four minutes. Yeah, yeah, craziness just back and forth. That was a tremendous game. Yeah, we talked the day after that game about it. I-, I wonder, though, about the meetings. Does the tone change during playoffs? I mean, especially the Saints. I mean, they're a team that is in the in the Sean Payton era. I mean, they're incredibly tight-lipped. You know, I mean, the poor people who cover the beat have to wait on cut-down day for the transaction report to run because they won't even say anything then. You know what I mean? Like, they can be brutal. How are they? Like, uh, maybe not just the Saints, but in general, like, how does the tone change come playoff time in those meetings? It probably depends on the, on the team and, yeah. and the head coach who sets the tone. You know, it's funny you mention that about the Saints, and I know sometimes coaches are different with, with the print media than with the broadcast crews. Sean Payton's actually one of the best. Really? Uh, when I think about all the head coaches, huh. uh, yeah, he'll give you all the time in the world. He'll, wow. He basically runs down his entire roster. He'll, he'll give you a tidbit on every player. So <laughs> for us, at least, I'll put him right up there among the best guys that we talk to. But sure, in the playoffs, uh, they probably do pull back a little bit. But it would depend on the team and the coach. Uh, when I think back to the playoff games we did, uh, we did have the Saints a couple of times. We had Carolina. John Fox is always uh, one of the better ones. Um, and uh, with Arizona back then, it was I guess it was Ken Wisenhunt. But no, but but Sean Payton actually uh, with us, he's always great. He's one of the best ones we meet with. I talked a little bit with Sean McDonough about this last week. 
I don't say that to name drop or anything, but just to see what, what you think compared to him. It's such a crazy year or a few years, uh, the way everything seems to be politicized and right down to NFL ratings have become something that's politicized. As a play-by-play guy, how do you view the landscape of the country? Uh, not in terms of your political ideology, but how does it affect your preparation for what you do every Sunday, if at all? Uh, no, I don't think it does at all. Um, you know, obviously we all follow that stuff and we're aware, and, and, and it was interesting looking at the ratings last year and, and the effect that the election and the debates probably did have on it. But, uh, no, as far as preparing for a game, that, that really has no effect. I go about preparing for the game the same way. And, um, you know, something else that I share with the students that I speak with in the summer to me, I prepare personally the same way for every game, whether it's a postseason NFL game, a preseason hockey game. Um, to me, you never know who's listening or watching. I remember Joe DiMaggio had one of his famous quotes that um, he gave his best every game because that might be the one time that, that a particular child is seeing him play. Right. Well, this might be the the one game that a fan is viewing or, or listening to and uh, to the players on that field, you know, to some of them, it might be the biggest games of their lives. So I prepare uh, for every game equally. Um, had the opportunity to work a, a Super Bowl, the international feed, the world feed with Joe Theismann, uh, Giants Patriots, the second of the of the two, and the Manning uh, game. Prepared for that game the same as I would for the Redskins Tampa Bay preseason game last week. Yeah, Gretzky used to always cite that quote from DiMaggio. So, it, so essentially, for you, uh, you you view the game as people are tuning in for a game and we're going to talk about game and I'm going to keep everything else blocked off. I mean, pretty much there there are certain um, issues if, if they're, if they directly impact the game that you you definitely have to reference. Let me throw one out. um, You know, it's sports. People are, people are sitting home on a Sunday to try and get away from the real world for for three hours and, you know, we always talk about that amongst our production group. People want to be entertained. They're there to watch the game. They're fans of those teams. So, um, you know, we'll try to pass along uh, some of the anecdotes and, and stories, some of the inside stuff that they want to hear that they wouldn't necessarily get by reading the newspaper or following uh, some of the players on Twitter. Do you Like, if you have Joe Mixon this year, will you be, will, will you be thinking about the heat that, like, Musburger – I interpreted what he said simply as, hey, this guy's got a second chance. I'm rooting for him to make the most of it. And then that was taken as, you know, uh, he's taking Joe Mixon's side on on his past or something, you know, which I didn't interpret it that way at all. So when things like that happen and and you see that, does that that weigh in your mind? Does that that affect how you would approach a game if, if you get the Bengals this year? That's a good question, and it's probably something we would address as a production group in the days leading up to the game. You know, obviously, if there's a, uh, an incident that takes place during the season involving a player, um, you have to refer to it. You can't ignore it. Um, I worked the Giants-Redskins game a day or two after the Plaxico Burris incident where he, where he shot himself. And back then, social media wasn't around, and... and you didn't get the news instantaneously like you do now, and, and there was a lot of speculation that Saturday on, on what had taken place. And I remember we met with the Giants, and uh, the full story wasn't out yet, but we certainly did have to refer to it 
in the game open, in the open of that game. And, um, you know, I think that's a good example. We worked a 49ers game last year in Chicago. Uh, Colin Kaepernick started the game. We met with him on Saturday. Uh, so you have to obviously refer to what's going on and, and what's taken place over the recent days or weeks. But then I think once the game starts, it's a game and you treat it as such. The sports guys are here with Kenny Albert, a great friend of the show. We're finishing up with him. Uh, two more real quick ones. Uh, What's still on Kenny Albert's bucket list as a a play-by-play guy? It seems like, you know, you've called all four sports in the same season. You've done Olympics, Super Bowls, everything. What's what's still on your bucket list? Boy, that's a great question. Um, and we've talked about this in the past, Steve. I'm so fortunate to be involved in all four, uh, football and baseball with Fox and hockey and basketball at MSG and hockey on NBC as well. And, um, have been real fortunate as well to to cover some of the big events, five NFL divisional games, a Pro Bowl, four BCS games, uh, baseball playoffs. I've gone deep into the NHL playoffs the last four years with the Western Conference Final yeah. for NBC, and I've done Stanley Cup Finals on radio and um, did have the opportunity to work uh, a Stanley Cup Final game on, on TV back in 2014, the Super Bowl, the World Feed, as I mentioned uh, with Joe Theismann, Super Bowl 46. But, um, you know, the ultimate goal is obviously to do the big events on a consistent basis, whether it's a Super Bowl, a Stanley Cup, um, all-star games, playoff games. So um, you always strive to, to work those events. And I've been very lucky to, to be involved in, in a number of them through the years. But um, I think that's the ultimate is to work uh, big games, playoff games, championship games on a, on a consistent basis. Is there a random one out there? Are you like, oh, I really want to call a America's Cup or a, a World Cup, or is there something you know like that? That's interesting. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to work track and field at the Olympics, which I really enjoyed last summer. Um, I've done some boxing. So aside from the the four major sports, football, hockey, basketball, baseball, um, have been involved in, in those sports to a lesser extent. Uh, way back in the day when I was starting out, did some lacrosse and soccer and, and college wrestling once, which uh, that was really the one that I, I didn't have a great feel for what I was watching <laughs> and describing, but I, but I think I got through it. Um, you know, I had, had the opportunity to go to the U.S. Open the other day as a fan, and I've never, never been involved in tennis. I think that would be fun at some point um, uh, to call tennis, which, which I've never done, but... Uh, um, you know, again, among the four uh, big ones that we talked about, uh, just the opportunity to work some of the the major events on the calendar, that's that's definitely the ultimate goal. Did you call uh, Blackhawks-Kings when Kane scored the walk-off hat-trick Western Conference final goal in 2013? No, I didn't have that one. No, the I next the year? Blackhawks-Kings. The next year. The next year with when uh, Alec Martinez right. scored the overtime game seven to go to the Stanley Cup final. That's what I thought. This was so much fun. I feel like since it's not like we're not talking right after a game, we just got to kind of talk about some other stuff. It was pretty cool. We haven't done this uh, like this. Thank you so much for that. Hey, I, one last thing. Did I hear what's going on with VC out there? Now, I heard he's getting in a little bit of trouble maybe. Did he knock over an old lady or something like that that I hear in New York or something like that? Or am I am I making that up? I'm probably making that up, ain't I? To be honest, uh, I have not heard anything about that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, make, that. I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I am kidding. I was just wanted to pick on VC. Uh, I didn't mean to make you nervous. Uh, 
I thought I missed something. <laughs> no, I was just I was just teasing him. His records. I know you have your Yale time. Yeah, I picked up on that. Still two eleven and two all time against Yale. Uh, <laughs> well, as you know, I, I go way back with Keith Elaine. We yes. were together with the Washington Capitals back in the mid nineties. So he's he's a personal favorite of mine. Awesome. Thank you so much for this, Kenny. Anything you want to add? Anything you want to promote? Obviously, you're going to be calling the game on Fox. You got Washington Philly this week. We're going to catch you on baseball, I'm sure, still. Rangers will be on soon. Anything you want to mention before we let you go? I think you've captured it, Steve. Uh, always great to join you and uh, look forward to doing it anytime. And uh, like I said, great time of the year. Football this weekend, hockey, basketball starting up soon. So uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, Anytime you want to do it again, you know where to find me. This is really fun today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Steve. All right, I want to thank Kenny Albert for being on the podcast today. Honestly, Kenny is one of the nicest dudes. He, I will email him, and within five hours without fail, he emails me back. If he can't do it, he lets me know, he apologizes, and he suggests another time to do it. Uh, he's always there for me when I, when I want to have him on, and he's so accommodating. And he really does give good stuff, too. He's not just generic. So I really want to thank Kenny for being on the show. I'm going to skip the book club this week because partially I'm a little annoyed. You know, we set up these book club books of the month basically on blind faith to some degree. I mean, I try not to start plugging a book until I have a book. You know, it's like the basic requirement is that they send me a book. Uh, but when they sent me one, they usually make a promise that the author is going to appear on the podcast. And I emailed Steve Russian a week ago and still haven't heard back from them, from him, uh, which really annoys me. Uh, but he he has always been pretty good. Uh, so I'm hoping I'll hear from him and he'll be on soon. If not, what can you do? It happens. Al Michaels did it to us. Ian O'Connor did it to us. There's been a few over the years. So with that said, I will give my football picks. We'll make Don give his next week. I'm going to pick uh, division winners and wild card teams for both conferences. I'm going to make a Super Bowl pick. I'm going to pick the MVP, the Offensive and Defensive Player of the Years, Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year. I'll pick a comeback player, and I will pick a Coach of the Year. All right, in the AFC... I'm going to pick the Patriots to win the East. I can't see anyone else winning that. I'm going to pick the Steelers in the North. To be honest, I'm surprised there hasn't been more buzz about the Steelers team. I'm going to pick the Titans in the South. I hate the Texans. Uh, The Jaguars have a defense good enough to win it, but with that quarterback situation, it's just not going to happen. Uh, And I'll pick the Raiders to win the West. Uh, It's a shame how their season ended last year. I don't know if they're going to be as good as they were and win 12 games, but I still think they'll win the West. The wild card team, it's hard not to put the Chiefs in the playoffs after what they did last night. And uh, I'll pick the Ravens as the other wild card. The second wild card was tough for me. I didn't like really anyone, to be honest. 
uh, but I settled on the Ravens. I thought about the Dolphins just because the division is so weak, and Cutler might not be a downgrade at all from Tannehill, but we'll see. So I went with the Ravens. In the NFC, I picked the Giants to win the East. Uh, if that defense can be as good as last year, and I, I have a strong feeling that Elliott's going to miss time. I don't know if they're going to want to drag that out like Brady did. I'm not sure. Uh, it's hard, really, on Friday. Well, we, we don't know what's happening other than Elliott's playing week one. Uh, but I'll go with the Giants and assume Elliott's going to be suspended, although I could be wrong about that. I'll pick the Packers in the north. I'm going to pick the Saints in the south uh, because I'm a giant homer. And I'll pick the Seahawks in the west. My wild cards, I'll pick Tampa, Hard Knocks Bias, and I'll pick Washington uh, as the other. Uh, I'll pick the Steelers over the Redskins in the Super Bowl. Uh, I wanted to be different. I, I didn't want to pick the Packers or the Seahawks. Uh, I thought about picking the Saints, but it's maybe too homerish. Uh, so I'll pick the Steelers over the Redskins to win the Super Bowl. Uh, offensive uh, player of the year, I'll pick Drew Brees to win his third. Defensive player of the year, I'll pick Khalil Mack. Offensive rookie of the year, you got to love Leonard Fournette. I think he's a generational player. Uh, I'll pick Lattimore as defensive rookie of the year. Maybe another bit of a homer pick. Uh, I assume J.J. Watt will win the defensive comeback or the comeback player of the year, offensive and defense. I'll pick Tomlin as coach of the year, not because I think he's a great coach, but if they can pull off what I think they're going to pull off uh, and prevent the Patriots from defending their title, uh, I think everyone's going to uh, to want to pick him. So that leads to MVP. Whenever you talk about MVP, the first name that comes to mind is Rodgers. He's just so good. I almost want to pick him every year. I'm definitely picking a quarterback. Quarterbacks almost always win it. So Brady's got to be in consideration. Roethlisberger. I'm looking at my playoff teams here. Mariota, could he get in the conversation? Same with uh, Carr. Could those guys have MVP seasons? I don't think Alex Smith or Joe Flacco is going to win it. Eli Manning, Rodgers, Breeze. I already picked Breeze for Offensive Player of the Year. So I'm not going to pick him to win it. Russell Wilson. Could he have his MVP year? Uh, Jameis Winston, again, I, I think with Winston, Mariota, and Carr, they're the future of this award, uh, but not quite yet. Cousins, I think he's a step below this. Uh, so I'll pick Roethlisberger to win the MVP. I guess I'm high in the Steelers this year, uh, and I could be crazy, but Roethlisberger just has all his weapons back with Bryant there and Brown and Bell. Bell, I think, did a smart thing, skipping training camp. I wish more of my players would do it. Uh, so I'll, I'll go with Roethlisberger and feel relatively comfortable about it. Those are my NFL picks. We did over-unders last week. You can find them on SoundCloud if you want to hear our over-unders. Uh, and we're going to take a break now and come back and talk awful announcing and Saints football with Matt Yoder. And now when the Saints go marching ahead.
All right, our next guest is a writer for the comeback and awful announcing. He's in Columbus, and he comes on every year at this time to talk Saints football with me. The warm sportscasters, welcome to Matt Yoder. What's up, Matt? Great to be back. I hope that this annual tradition of the preseason Saints podcast isn't what's coincided with them going 7-9 and nine in what seems like the last like dozen years or so. Well, it's funny. The first year we did it, I think the consensus opinion was that they had the best team in the history of Saints football in August. And that team ended up being my most hated Saints team of all time. Um, Which... If you know anything about the history of Saints football, that's that's really saying something. Oh, they were just so hateable. Everything I hated everything about that team. But last year's team wasn't hateable. They were pretty likable. They just couldn't win games. They just found a way to lose games. And I guess in the simplest of forms, do you think we've done enough to close the gap on some of those games that we probably should have won and didn't, just kind of in a general sense? I mean, it's like you're living Groundhog Day year after year after year with this team. I mean, everyone who is even a casual football fan knows the narrative with New Orleans Saints. Mm-hmm. Great offense, Hall of Fame, all-time great quarterback, but a defense that is like a hot knife through butter. And that narrative does hold true, and you saw it in the first game of last season. I mean, what happened? when the Raiders came in, won 35-34. And that just followed trends throughout the season. And I think what defined the 2016 Saints was that they found ways to lose games. Yep. I mean, whether it was Kick two. blocked extra points, yep. returned back for touchdowns, um, other block kicks you know, against the Giants, they had one return for a touchdown. The Raiders, that was such a crazy game at home to lose. And just throughout the season... Time and time again, you just saw that rear its ugly head. So I don't know what it is, because you would think Sean Payton, Drew Brees, over the years, you would somehow find a way to capture that culture of winning. But even thinking back to some of the better Saints teams, you know, I can think back a road game at New England. All you need to do is just get us one stop into the game. Couldn't get it done. There's just so many little things that happen, it seems, with this team. And I know we're going to talk and kind of dive in that maybe – there are some reasons for optimism with this year's team, but I don't think it'll mean anything different unless they can find those ways to win those three point, seven point, six point games that they've lost in recent years and turn that around. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And the narrative that you mentioned, I always counter it with, well, if the defense can only be the twentieth best defense, I think we can make the playoffs. Or I come up with some number, you know, in my head. What's the number for you? Like, do you like? I wasn't thrilled we traded Brandon Cooks, to be honest, but I haven't lost any sleep over it either. You know, I think regardless, it's we're gonna have a top three offense one way or another. I just believe that in my heart. And um, with if if that holds true, if that holds up, what's the, is there a number for you? Like, oh, if the defense can be just this good, it's a playoff team. I mean, even if it was mid-range, yeah. I mean, you're talking 16 to 20. Right, Just That could be, there. be enough to get this team in the playoffs. But here's the thing. Here's the amazing thing. And I hesitate to even go down this road. But do you know where the Saints ranked in terms of preseason defense? Yeah, number two, I think. One or two? Number two in the league. Yeah, two. Now, granted, 
Number three was the Cleveland Browns. So maybe it's not that anything to get excited about. But I don't know. You, you haven't seen the Saints defense in that kind of area preseason or regular season since the days of the Dome Patrol. So I think Saints fans are going to take any shred of optimism that they can get. And actually, you know, when it was first team versus first team, you saw some really good signs. So I'm not expecting the Saints to be anywhere <laughs> near the top two. If they are, holy cow, I mean, that's darn near miraculous. But anything in that 15, 16 to 20, 21, 22 range, I think hopefully would be enough to get them over the top and back in the postseason. Here was my feeling. My feeling was defense really did improve last year, but they couldn't, they, they didn't have the personnel to put 60 minutes in. Usually we'd get a good half or three good quarters. Uh, it would fall apart for them in the, in the, in the fourth quarter or they'd have a bad first quarter, whatever the case may be. But I felt finally like the the coaching was there. There was a little bit of there was more direction. There wasn't as much confusion pre snap. It's like the players were in place, but sometimes maybe weren't good enough to make the plays. Uh, maybe that last year's defense reached its tipping point with injuries. There wasn't, especially in pass rush. Uh, pass rush was too injured. Linebacker wasn't good enough. Too many injuries in secondary, and they added a ton, a ton of guys at off season. And at first, I was like. Oh, they're just bringing in guy after guy after guy, but these guys are all jabronis. But as I've seen the vision kind of go together, we get the luck on draft day and get Lattimore, who I, I don't think I ever dreamed waking up that they would be available when they picked. They get that break, and they got all these guys in the secondary. The linebackers are definitely better. Just having uh, having a couple guys in the defensive line return. Rankins is going to start the season there instead of being on short-term IR. I just feel like the sum of all of that is going to be a defense that can't possibly be one of the worst in the league. Well, and and when you look at it, what they've tried to do on defense over the last several years, you see a combination of draft busts and free agent busts. Right. I think a team on one side of the ball, maybe you can get by surviving one of those things. Maybe you draft really well, but a couple of your free agent signings don't work, or you do really well in free agency and you can't develop anybody, you can still kind of get by if one of those operations is firing on all cylinders. But when you go out and you draft Stefani Anthony, he leads the team and tackles his rookie year, and then he basically goes into witness protection. Uh, when you have, you know, go back even further, Stanley John Baptiste, second-round cornerback, Bust. out of the league. Yep. And then you fail in free agency Bird. with the likes of Jairus Bird, highest-paid safety in NFL history when the Saints signed him, Bust. and now he's not even on the team anymore. So now you're looking at the Saints defense, and you've got draft picks like Anzalone, like Lanamore, like Marcus Williams, who may see the field right away in their rookie season and are showing some really promising signs of bringing some dynamism, some speed, some playmaking ability. And then you've got free agent signings, like especially in the linebacking core Klein. with A.J. Klein yep. and I think most surprising of all, especially to folks that are listening that may not be Saints fans, Monty Teo, yeah, he's been good. who has come in and been good. should be the starting middle linebacker for this team. You can hit on both of those. Then all of a sudden you're talking about a transformation if those draft picks and those free agent signings pan out. I think I'm still a little bit worried about the pass rush and who exactly is going to be getting pressure on the quarterback on the opposite side of Cam Jordan 
But I see enough encouragement, especially from the linebacking core this preseason, to, to at least say this Saints defense has got to be improved. Granted, there's not much more room to go down, but you're at least seeing some tangible growth and signs that things should be better. Yeah, I totally agree. And I do worry about the pass rush, too, because even the best cornerbacks can't hold coverage forever, right? At some point, you either need to, to get the guy off of his uh, off of his spot or you're probably going to get beat, even the best guys on the best teams. But I do know that we know Cam Jordan is really solid, maybe you know the best non-Drew Brees player on the team. So it's nice when you don't even have to worry about that side. And what about... How have you felt just just watching um, the return of some guys on that defensive end? Like, do you think Rankins can get some pressure up the middle? Maybe, you know, uh, what about what what about the what about? Do you trust Adabali? Is he a guy you think can get sacks? I'm worried about that. I guess there's just a ton of guys. I mean, you've got a couple rookies there: Hendrickson, Muhammad. You've got. Uh, Okafor, who's coming in as a free agent. So I, I think more or less you're looking at that by committee. Sheldon Rankins is an interesting one because he's basically your replacement for Nick Fairley, and that was really unfortunate to see this offseason. Yeah. It looked like he had really put his career together, had a really good season in New Orleans, signed this big free agent contract, and then he's out with his health issues, and who knows if we'll see him again. So uh, you're really just hoping that one of those guys, or maybe multiple of those guys, opposite of Cam Jordan, even if they just get a handful of sacks, hopefully it's one of those things where you've at least improved the pass rush a little bit and you've improved the back end a little bit where they even out somewhat and you can either allow the defense enough time to get to the quarterback from the secondary perspective or you get to the quarterback quick enough that it sort of covers up some holes there at the back end. But you look at this team and and I like the way they're being built. That's kind of the one hole if you – go back all the way to the draft that maybe you'd look at filling and the one question you might have is selecting Ramchick, the offensive tackle, with that pick from the Brandon Cook straight instead of really going out and getting a top-line defensive end. But you know, Sean Payton, Mickey Loomis said they, they didn't really feel like there was that player at that position that matched that grade and maybe that is a pick that's going to work out for the best because Sean Armstead, who I think a lot of us think should be an all-pro Pro Bowl guy every year, has had such a bad run of injuries that maybe it's not a bad idea to have another blue chipper there at the offensive tackle spot protecting Drew Brees. They were so quick, so close to getting Foster too at that pick. You know that thirty-two pick. What do you go thirty-one to Forty ers or thirty or whatever? It's almost yeah. there. And I think that they thought he was going to slip and he didn't, and it turned you know a perfect first round into like a B plus first round, but. I don't know. Where do you stand on Pete these days? Do you feel like you feel like he's a guy now that like he's just I mean, I hated the pick when it happened. I hated him the first year or two, but I wonder if in year three he's gonna make the next step here. You hope so, because anytime you pick an offensive lineman in the top fifteen and they don't become a perennial pro bowler. I think you're going to always look on that pick as kind of a disappointment. And given he played his career at Stanford as a tackle, the Saints, again, having Teron Armstead at left tackle, now they move him to right guard, right tackle, left guard. You know, he's kind of been all over the place. So now that he has a defined position 
and hopefully can stay healthy and stay in that position, perhaps there's there's a chance there for him to develop into a really good pro. I, I haven't quite given up on him. I think a lot of Saints fans really rolled their eyes at that pick, especially the needs on defense that have been there throughout the years. Uh, could have been Marcus Peters. Turned, that pick could have been Marcus turning Peters. Turning into a solid pro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think Saints fans, maybe just by the circumstances of that pick and the team needs and now him playing at guard, something tells me they're, they're always just going to be wanting more from him. And then you've got the legacy of that position with guys like Jari Evans, Carl Nix, really, really good players that have protected the middle of the pocket for Drew Brees for a long time. So hopefully Pete can follow in those footsteps and become a pro bowler himself. And maybe that's what it's going to take to feel like the Saints really hit on that draft selection from a couple of years ago. He's still only 23, and he's six foot seven, 316 pounds. So I'm definitely not giving up on him. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, that's for sure. Well, it is interesting, though. You know, one one player that the Saints and Saints fans kind of have given up on, I think, is Garrett Grayson. And that presents the other major cloud over this franchise, is the entire question of Drew Brees' successor. And we've done this song and dance for so many years now. It's it's just kind of made Saints fans numb to the thought of it. But the day's coming sooner or later when number nine isn't going to be, well, I was about to say under center, but I guess in the shotgun for this <laughs> team. And right now there's just no short-term or really long-term plan. I mean, I know Chase Daniel is, is in there. Hopefully we don't need to see him that much on the field. Ever. Big fan of his, him in the days at Missouri. Maybe he could do some, some mop-up really? duty here yeah. and there. But well, if you've got three or four games that breezes out, oh boy. Uh, that could be the season. But now there's not even a developmental guy on the roster who you think, yeah, there's there's a lot of investment in this person. Maybe it was going to be Grayson. Maybe not. Who knows? I mean, you just never saw anything in the few years that he's been with the organization to think that's the guy for the future. So now with Breeze in the contract year, everything is really up in the air with this team and what happens beyond this year. So I guess the message to Saints fans is enjoy the ride for 2017, even if it is another 7-9 season, because this can be a franchise and a team that is in a vastly, vastly different place come next year. Yeah, I think that obviously the successor to Drew Brees isn't on the roster right now, which makes Drew Brees being on the roster very important. You know, I'm a little bit surprised that they are letting him play out a lame duck year, but I think they kind of backed themselves into this with the four-year contract that voids. I don't know all the rules or whatever, but I'm still confident he's not going to go anywhere unless they want him to, and I can't imagine they'd want him to. Um, well, and this is what we talked about last year. <laughs> it's funny coming off another 7-9 and nine season because we probably talked about it last year that this situation is going to break one way or the other. Either they're going to get it together, get back to the postseason, and you're going to ride with Drew Brees and Sean Payton as long as humanly possible, or it's going to break the other way, and you go 4-12, and 12, and it's time to wish everyone the best in their future endeavors, thank them for their service, put them in the ring of honor, and move on. But you kind of had another 7-9 and nine season in that no-man's land of, well, we're not really succeeding, and we're not really rebuilding we're just kind of in NFL purgatory. But I think this year, with the contract year, with no extension, to me it's playoffs or bust. If there's another 7-9, 8-8 eight eight season, then it's probably time. 
to move on and and move into a new era for this franchise. So that that's why I think there's basically this team, this franchise, they've got all their chips in the middle of the table for this 2017 season. And if it works out, great. We'll figure it out next offseason. And if it doesn't, <laughs> then it's been a fun ride and it's time to go find the next franchise cornerstone and who knows, maybe even another head coach and general manager too. Well, I'm always going to be the last one off of the Breeze and Peyton bandwagon. I feel like I owe that to them. They made all of my football dreams come true. So I'm always going to be the last guy off. And what we talked about last time, and you mentioned, like, it's going to work out. It's going to be 4-12. and 12. The problem is he's just too good for us to ever be 4-12. and 12. And the other problem is, is yeah. he, he can't he can't block for the extra points, too. You know what I mean? So, and that's, that's really something, because I, I hear that in just talking with random people, because I feel like the Saints as a franchise have gone so far under the radar of the last few years. But watching this team and watching Drew Brees week to week, personally, I think he is playing the past two or three years when the team around him has dropped off. He's been playing the best football of his career. Some of the throws he's been making, the way he's been surviving and standing in the face of pressure, the way he's dropping in some of these passes, it's the best I've seen him play. So good. Some of these performances. Yeah, and he... people might think about that and like, well, gosh, he's not even in the conversation anymore with, with Brady and with Rodgers and with all of these other guys. And I think with the Saints kind of off the national scene and kind of struggling at 7-9, that may surprise some people, but watching game to game, you just continue to be in amazement at what he can do with the football and the places that he can find windows to throw into and the way that he can throw guys open. It's just sensational to watch. And it would be my worst absolute nightmare to see him suit up for the Redskins oh, or God, no. any other random team. So I hope and pray it doesn't come to that. Uh, but I think, Right now, you know, you, you can't lose the Saints fan in you from the the late 80s and 90s and pretty much every time before the Super Bowl season. So you're kind of preparing yourself in case that may happen. What did you think of the uh, the doctor getting fired? And did it make you feel really bad for Keenan Lewis? Man, what a crazy story. Doesn't that seem to happen to the Saints? Like, you yes. just have these really random stories that don't really get a lot of play nationally. Remember Joe Vitt and Sean Payton? And, you know, there was a talk about the, what was it, the the pills or the medicine yeah, or the something that Percocet, was happening to them. Yeah, Percocet, I think. Yeah, Percocet. You know, you, you had Albert Connell stealing stuff from a teammate's locker. Deuce. That's way back in the Yeah, that was McAllister. McAllister's locker. And now you've got this doctor getting fired for a misdiagnosis right after there had been these reports about Delvin Bro, who has been the team's best cornerback for a number of years. I mean, great story. Come back from a devastating neck injury, came down uh, after playing in Canada. I mean, such a great story. Has been a, a really good player for this team. And you, you saw that, oh, wow, the Saints are thinking about trading Delvin Bro because he can't get healthy and can't, can't get on the field. That made absolutely no sense whatsoever because why would you diss a guy's health and basically cut his trade value yeah. in half. Hey, you want to trade for this guy who's not healthy? That? Yeah, you want to trade for this guy who exactly. can't even get on the field? <laughs> and then it's, oh, whoops, our bad, sorry, our doctor misdiagnosed him. He's actually got a much more serious injury than we thought. 
not a great look for the franchise in and, any way. And I feel like it definitely that's definitely the second time because Keenan Lewis was shouting this from the rooftops, right? They did the same thing to Keenan Lewis. They cut him and said he can't get yeah. on the field. He's not available. We can't, you know, we can't have a guy who's not available. And he's saying on the other end, I'd love to be available, but I'm hurt still. Something's wrong. And, you know, I felt really bad for Keenan Lewis because he was the best player on the defense in a couple of really lean defensive years, you know, where they were awful. And he was the one guy back there shutting down Julio Jones and whoever else they threw at him. And, uh, you know, I think it happened to him and now it happened to Bro. And hopefully they solved it. And it's also so weird because, like, the doctor works for the main sponsor of the team. And, like, just a few days before it all happened, they had a big happy press conference where they were announcing an increase in the sponsorship and the connection between Oxner and the Saints. And it's so weird. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Slightly awkward. Slightly awkward. <laughs> slightly, slightly awkward. you got to be kidding me. Is there any chance that Kobe Fleener can be – reasonably uh, trying to set a standard he can meet. Is there any chance he can be uh, passable uh, as the starting tight end this year? Boy, you hope so, but that was such an underwhelming first season in How? New Orleans. Did he go that, to Stanford? That was a signing that... Yeah. He's so dumb. Luck, yeah, he's so dumb. I thought play. he went to Stanford. <laughs> My God. Well... They must not have taught a, a pass-catching class out there because some of the balls that he couldn't come up with last year were very disappointing. But that was a signing, again, tight end, not really such a huge need. They pay him a lot of money to come in, and that's another situation where given what the Saints gave up to get him, the money they're paying, how that money could have been spent elsewhere to improve the roster – that's another guy that that's on the hot seat this season, and we know Drew Brees loves using that tight end. Yeah, ben Watson, Jimmy Graham, Jeremy Shockey. There's a great history in New Orleans of Drew Brees finding the tight end and really making it work. And I think the hope was with Kobe Fleener coming into this offense, given that history, given Drew Brees, that we'd see his career take off. It did not happen last year, and right now. You just hope that he can be enough of a weapon so that when the other guys around him, like Michael Thomas, like Mark Ingram, like Adrian Peterson, like Willie Sneed, whenever he gets back on the field, um, Teddy Ginn is a deep threat, Kamara coming out of the backfield, who I'm really excited about. Yeah, he looks There's really so good. There's so many weapons on the Saints offense. He, he should have some one-on-one opportunities. So you're just hoping that he takes advantage of them this season. We had that one touchdown last year. He so clearly ran the wrong route and like picked the ball out of, uh, I think it was Snead's hands. And then Breeze stuck up for him in the press conference. He was like, no, that was everything was right on that play. I just maybe uh, threw it a little high. It's like, get out of here. This guy doesn't know where the hell he's supposed to be. But, uh, man, I hope he can be better. Um, Peterson, a lot of people don't talk about it. But to me, they made that signing because they couldn't finish games. There was a couple games last year where it seemed like they would either go too fast and score again. Uh, they just couldn't get out of games. Like they just couldn't. They couldn't do it. And I feel like maybe they looked at Peterson and said, "This guy can be a hammer for us late in games and kind of slow things down towards the end." And maybe, maybe a game that we lose at the end, we win because uh, the four-minute offense is a little bit better with Peterson. Because with the Saints. 
you don't need a four-minute offense. You need like a 12-minute offense sometimes, uh, the way the defense can let up points uh, in, at their worst. So that's what I, the way I looked at it. I haven't really heard many people say that. What did you think when Peterson came in, and what's the best-case scenario for him in your opinion? I think it fits this team's philosophy and what they've always done under Sean Payne because Adrian Peterson is not coming in to be the number one guy. He's coming in to back up Mark Ingram. He's coming in to be the the second battering ram, the guy that can go out there in the fourth quarter, the guy that can get the first downs and move the chains. And really, the way I look at it, it's kind of a straight swap for Tim Hightower, isn't it? I mean, if you look at Hightower's numbers yeah. last year, you know, over 500 yards, a few touchdowns, that's not bad from a second running back. So if you bring in Adrian Peterson to fill that role, spell marking room, I think the carries are going to be evened out a little more. So to me, you're not looking for an 1,800-yard season from Adrian Peterson or even a 1,000-yard season. If he gets 800 yards, if he gets a half dozen touchdowns, that's great. But exactly like you said, the most important thing is, can he help this team close out victories in the fourth quarter? Can he keep Mark Ingram fresh? Can they both get through the season? It just fits with this team. I mean, whether it's Hightower, you go back to the Super Bowl season. Bell, Mike You Bell. had Pierre Thomas, yep. Reggie Bush, and, and Mike, Mike Bell, Bell mm-hmm. who was kind of that fourth quarter hammer. And looking in past years, really the Saints haven't had as much depth at running back ever since they got rid of Pierre Thomas. And you know, go back to Reggie Bush, but of course his role was filled so exquisitely by Darren Sproles. The Saints have really missed that. And that's why I'm maybe even more excited to see Alvin Kamara than even Adrian Peterson. That may sound a little bit crazy, but it is the preseason. I think going this long without football does that to you sometimes. Some of his highlights in the preseason were pretty awesome, and if they can use him in that third down role, coming out of the backfield, taking some of the toss sweeps, going between the tackles every now and then, and it helps Peterson and Ingram stay even more fresh, all of a sudden you've got a backfield now that could be one of the strongest and deepest in the NFL. And when you have that with Drew Brees, that's a very, very, very potent combination. And Kamara was Peyton's guy, so Peyton is going to give this guy every chance to succeed. You know, that was his, that was the guy he spotted, the guy he liked, the guy he wanted to trade up for. So, and he's flashed. He's looked really good. Give me your most optimistic prediction for the season, your most pessimistic, pessimistic out pick for the season, and where you think they'll finish. So three numbers there, probably. Well, you know, being in Ohio and being so close to Cleveland Browns and being a Saints fan all my life, I mean, pessimism knows no bounds. True. (laughs) Given what I've seen over the years. So I think worst case scenario, Drew Brees gets hurt, the season goes down the toilet, and it's rebuild time. So I think you could see that scenario. Maybe this is a 4-5 or team. If Brees stays healthy, worst case scenario – I think you're exactly right what you said earlier. He's too good to let this team lose too many games. So maybe 6-10. and ten. Best case scenario, this young defense comes together from week one. Offense fires on all cylinders. Michael Thomas is an all-pro wide receiver. And you could seriously look at this team. Nobody's saying it right now. But you could look at this team competing for a division title, maybe 12-4. and four. What I'm going to pick is probably somewhere in between. I think if we could go 10 and 6, 
I feel good about the defense. I think the pressure is on. Breeze and Peyton know this may be their last hurrah. And some of these additions, especially the rookie class, very, very excited about. The one thing that worries me with this team, the one thing, is what good of a start can they do? This team right. has historically, in this 7-9 and nine mediocre stretch, struggled at the start of the season. And then they're chasing. And, and then they're chasing. The NFL and yeah. Roger Goodell... It's almost like he's still holding the whole bouncy gate thing against them because seems like the NFL schedule makers have never really done the Saints too many favors in recent years. So you look at this start at Minnesota on the road Monday night, New at home against New England, hello, Carolina. on the road at Carolina, mm-hmm. and then to London to face the Dolphins. Mm. Man, that's a rough stretch. If we can get two of that those, we're going stretch. to the playoffs. If you can somehow get through those, yeah, if you can somehow get through that start, at two and two, uh, then you come back at home to face the Lions. You're going on the road again for the Packers. So really, even if you're three and two through those first six, then you finally hit a stretch of Chicago, Tampa Bay, Buffalo, Washington, L.A. Rams, where you're feeling a bit better about yourself. And then two games against the Falcons in December that could make or break the division. So I think if you can get to those last four games where you're at Atlanta at home against the Jets, who may go 0-16 this year, who knows, at home against Atlanta and then on the road at Tampa. If you can get a situation where you know you go 3-1 and one in those last four games and that gets you to 11 wins or 12 wins, you're in a really, really good spot. So I think right now it's survive the beginning, thrive in the middle, and seal that playoff berth in the last quarter of the season with some huge divisional games. Now, we'll close on this. You can correct me if I'm wrong because my numbers are unofficial, but Awful Announcing covered the uh, Sportscasters podcast last week, and I believe that ended up being the most downloaded article in the history of Awful Announcing, correct? <laughs> I think maybe the second. Second? Though. Oh, okay. Second. I, I, I think you were behind uh, the uh, top ten bloopers from oh. last year, but oh, okay. it's, it's right there, right there near the top. Very good, very good. You want to plug uh, plug everything with comeback and awful announcing and lay everything out for everyone. Yeah, I, I mean things floating along. We have not pivoted to video. No pivot. Yet, no pivot. Uh, which <laughs> so we're we're still in the game. Uh, of course, awful announcing all things sports media at awfulannouncing dot com on Twitter at awful announcing and then the comeback all things sports pop culture movies you name it thecomeback dot com and on Twitter at the comeback. All right, well, we'll be talking, I'm sure, on Twitter over the course of the season. Uh, fingers crossed. I, I'm optimistic. I really feel like, you know, they were 7-9 and nine for two years in a row before 2009, right? And I, I'm not saying that this is going to be the 2019, but I'm saying that I'm optimistic, and I feel like the optimism is justified. Right, and I, I think the message this season is just enjoying the 16 games because – you never know if this could be the last run. And, and like you said, Sean Payton, Drew Brees, these guys gave Saints fans everything they could ever wanted with that Super Bowl victory. I mean, I remember growing up just praying to God, just give me one Super Bowl in my lifetime, just one. And it happened. So they delivered it. I may have to live the next 60 years without one, but so be it. I'll be happy. I got my one. These are the guys who delivered it. So if it is the last go-round, just enjoy the season, no matter how many wins it is, because you're going to look at this team and Drew Brees in five, six, seven years. He could go down in history with every passing record on the book 
as the first ballot Hall of Famer as a Saints quarterback. And that's, I don't think, anything we ever thought we'd see in our lifetimes. And a Super Bowl was probably something we never thought we'd see in our lifetimes. So uh, just going to enjoy the brief Peyton era for as long as it goes. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Thank Matt Yoder and Kenny Albert for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can find this week's podcast and all of our podcasts on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts. I'd love it if you listen to this show, if you could give us a review and a rate. Five stars would be best, but I know we're about a two star, so that's fine too. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter if you don't already at sports underscore casters. Email me the sportscasters at gmail.com. And that should do it for plugs. One last thing for today. Uh, Narcos season three uh, returned to Netflix. And I will say that from this point forward, there will be some narco spoilers. Uh, So if you want to avoid them, you can stop now and we'll see you next week. With that said, uh, narco season three, Pablo Escobar is dead. And this is a show that has been about chasing Pablo Escobar. So now what? And the show pivots, uh, unlike websites pivoting uh, from written word to video no one wants. Uh, The show has pivoted from the chase of Pablo Escobar to the chase of the Cali Cartel. And the results are fantastic. Uh, One disappointing thing is uh, Murphy is gone. He's not on the show. Uh, Agent Pena is there, uh, but no Murph, which is a little disappointing. Although there are a lot of familiar faces, it's tough to lose Murphy and... Uh, Pablo in the same year, plus we lost Murphy's hot wife, uh, which is disappointing. But, man, the writing on this show is just so good. The storytelling is fantastic. Uh, I'm kind of getting kind of getting used to uh, the car, the Kelly Cartel as the main, main villain. They're very different than Pablo was, uh, which is good and bad. Uh, but the show, man, it just... How many shows can you think of uh, could basically lose the entire plot of the show on a roof in Colombia and still come back and be one of the best? I'm four episodes into season three. Uh, There's going to be a season four, and I heard Pena might be gone. Uh, So this show is always evolving and changing, something that like True Detective couldn't do. Uh, they tried to recast, change stories, and it was a bomb. Uh, but Narcos is awesome. Uh, the acting, the storytelling, it's really good. It's up there on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, 
yet. I highly recommend it. You want to say bye, Paula? Hockey? Bye? Anything, P? Nope.